Reading this morning from John chapter 11. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And then after this, he said to, his, to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were, were just now seeking to stone you, and you were going there again. Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. Our Father, we thank you for the opportunity once again and the privilege to come together and to worship. We pray that our worship would be acceptable in your sight and that your word would be uh, expounded upon in such a way that it would please you, that you would give us the truth about yourself and about mankind. We ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's good to see each of you here and those that are visiting with us. We are very, very glad that you're here as well. It's good to have Paul with us this morning, our son and, and our missionary whom we sent out to Papua, uh, Indonesia, Papua, and uh, he and I will be leaving tomorrow morning uh, to go to Indonesia. We'll be doing some teaching and some, some visiting of the villages, and so we covet your prayers, and at the end of the service today, uh, after Brother Rolf has our family prayer time, we're going to have a special time of prayer for the two of us as we head off tomorrow morning. I know that many of you have already been praying. And uh, uh, someone told me this morning that they were praying for me and for the mosquito spray. And so uh, I appreciate that. Uh, we're very thankful for all of you and for, the, for your love and your care uh, as we go. All right, to John chapter 11. We have uh, finally gotten through John 10 after many weeks of study. And uh, it was such a blessing. I always, my John 10 is one of, one of my favorite passages, and uh, I was very happy to uh, be able to expound that to you. This morning we began in uh, John 11. And uh, then, of course, for the next three weeks, you'll have someone different in this pulpit uh, each week. So uh, you be faithful and come and uh, you pray for them as they, as, they, as they preach as well. In the final assessment of God by sinful mankind, at the end of the day... It is generally stated, or at least thought, that he has not sufficiently made enough of an effort to prove himself so that people 
will believe. This was true uh, during Jesus' time as well as it is today. People will say, "Why, if God is if God is real, if he's if he is who he is, why didn't he do something to prove it?" Did not they say of Jesus, "If you are the Christ, then do some miracle that proves who you are." Even when he went to the cross, he is hanging there, and they said, "If you're the Christ, come down from there." They did not realize that he could have called legions of angels and this earth would have been totally and completely destroyed. But the Father's will had to be done. James Boyce, in his, in his excellent commentary on John, poignantly remarks, The facts on the subject are, are that man has sufficient evidence, and if he does not believe, it is because he will not believe. Not because the evidence is lacking. Think of all the things that Jesus had done. He had fed the hungry thousands of people by an act of creation. He had healed people of diseases. He had walked on the water. He had done all these great deeds. Healing of a blind man who was blind from birth. And now we come to this chapter and we see one last and final miracle that tops all of them. The miracle of raising a man from the dead. Sinful people who seem to thrive on the spectacular never seem to To see enough. They want something a little bit more flashy than the last time. They're not satisfied with the simple truth of what the scriptures actually say. Always wanting something more. That's what we see in this passage. This is the most spectacular of all miracles that Jesus did. We're we're all familiar with the expression, where there's life, there's hope. But behind that expression is the assumption that so long as there is life, there is also hope for some kind of remedy to illness and disease and tragedy. Once death comes, however, all hope is gone. There's no cure. Remember some years ago, a man down in, I believe it was down in Arkansas, uh, said that he was going to raise his dead mother from the from she had died and he was going to raise her up and he gave a particular day he was going to do this and thousands of people came to see of course it was a total failure and he was he was uh, totally mocked in the effort the good news is according to our text this saying, where there's, uh, where there's life, there's hope, or where death does away with hope, is totally wrong. What we see in chapter 11 is a living visual of all those chapters beginning, beginning in chapter 6, where Jesus said over and over what he would do, how he would treat those who were his, who were given to him by the Father. Chapter 6, he said, I won't lose any of them. I'm going to raise them up on the last day. Chapter 8, he, gives, he, he, he heals the man at the pool of Bethesda. He gives sight to the blind man uh, in Jerusalem. And, we, and then we get to chapter 10, and we have all that beautiful section on how that he is the shepherd of his sheep, those that were given to him by the Father. He leads them into to safety and he brings them out for feeding. He is all of these things. And we get to chapter 11 and he raises Lazarus from the dead. A visual picture of all that he has said before. The promises that he has made to his own concerning salvation... And all that it is entailed in salvation. 
This chapter is really about the glory of God. That's what it's about. Spectacular thing to see a man raised from the dead. But it wasn't about Lazarus. It was about Jesus and His glory. The glory of the Father. The work of God. In Psalm 29, verse 3, and Acts 7, God is referred to as the God of glory. In 1 Samuel 15, 29, He is called the glory of Israel. And Isaiah referred to Him as the high and exalted one in Isaiah 57 and 33. The Father is called the Father of glory in Ephesians 1, 17. Jesus is called the Lord of glory in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 8. And the Holy Spirit is named as the Spirit of glory in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 14. There's a great deal of glory that comes from the living God. God's glory is so connected to His nature and to His character that He will not share it with anyone. Isaiah 42, verse 8, I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Isaiah 48, 11, for my own sake, my glory I will not give to another. God constantly repeats this refrain of His glory throughout the Word of God. For example, if you'll turn with me to the book of Psalms, or as Sinclair Ferguson said, Psalms. Psalm 108, verse 5. You'll be able to flip back and forth in Psalms. I have four references here for you. First of all, Psalm 108, verse 5. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. I believe we sing a song to that refrain. Psalm 113, verse 4. The Lord is high above all nations, and His glory above the heavens. Isn't that amazing? Now, I think... Sometimes I think, you know, what would it be like as in New Testament times when angels appeared to people and, and they, were, uh, they were bright and, and they were powerful and people fell on their faces uh, for fear. What would it be like to be in the presence of the omnipotent God of the universe who is higher than all that the heavens can display? Isn't that, what, isn't that what Peter, James, and John saw when they went with Jesus up on the mount and He was transfigured before them and He, he shone as bright as the sun at noontime? Psalm 138, verse 5. They shall sing of the ways of the Lord for great is the glory of the Lord. You need to turn to this next one. Psalm 72, verse 19. Blessed be His glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with His glory. Amen and amen. Let it be so. The time will come when the whole earth will be full of the glory of the Lord and everyone will know His name. No one will say, who is He? All of creation, all of creation, with the exception of the fallen angels and fallen human beings, worship God. you realize that? All the creation around us worships God, except for the fallen angels and fallen man. And the day is coming, and eventually will come, when, when God will be glorified even from fallen man and the fallen angels in his righteous judgment against them. I would not want to be counted in that number. God's glory is demonstrated in the New Testament in a multitude of ways. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1. 
Ephesians 1. This is just one reference. There are many. But there are none so vivid in the ways that God manifests himself as the, as the one who has, has and receives glory than in the redemption that is found in Christ Jesus. Notice what he says, Ephesians 1, verse 5 and 6. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. That's very important. His will. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. See, that's why, that's why you have eternal life. That's why you have salvation. Because God willed for you to have it. You've been adopted by the Heavenly Father. You're part of His family. That's why we call one another brothers and sisters. Because we're all in the same family through Christ Jesus. If you know Him in the forgiveness of sin, if you've repented of your sins and turned from them to Christ in faith and believing in Him, you're part of the family. If you haven't, you're not. It's just that black and white. Verse, look at verse 12, Ephesians 1.12. So that, here's the purpose, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. That's why He saved us, so that we would glorify Him and praise Him forever. Look at verse 14. He talks here about the Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire the possession of it to what? The praise of His glory. Look at verse 18. Having, our eye, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened so that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you. What is that hope? It is the hope that we will be with Him and we will be like Him and and sin will be gone forever. The hope that He's called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints? It's the fact that He has given Himself, His glorious self to us, is beyond my imagination. Those who believe share that glory by being filled with the fruit of His Spirit. And we had a, a marvelous uh, lesson downstairs uh, this morning at 9 o'clock with, with Sinclair Ferguson uh, on the Holy Spirit. He began a 12-week uh, series there, and that will go on now in, in our families and training time for uh, 11 more weeks. Uh, but it was, it was a really excellent time. But this is what he does. He, he inhabits us with his Spirit. He gives us the fruit. Philippians 1.11, that we are filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the praise of His glory. See, it all points to glory and glory in Christ. He is the focus of this. John 15, verse 8, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Are you bearing the fruit that proves you are a disciple, bringing glory to Jesus Christ? The Lord Jesus is the greatest and most, and most full manifestation of the glory of God from the very beginning of his public ministry, he displayed his glory in every act that he performed in obedience to the Father. See, there's nothing that you can do that is better in, in expressing the glory of God in Christ Jesus. There's nothing better you can do than simply to obey what he says. When you obey... When you adjust your life to His will and to His word, you are displaying the glory of God 
in Christ Jesus because he was perfectly obedient and thereby glorified the Father. It all began in John chapter 2, verse 11, with the first miracle of turning water into wine. Seven miracles John records in his gospel, each one more powerful than the last. Here we come to this final miracle performed without doubt the greatest one. Lazarus, being raised from the dead, is in and of itself a very spectacular event. I can only imagine the oohs and the ahs and the, and the cries of joy and laughter and, and the eyes wide open and jaws dropped to the ground when this took place. He who was dead now lives again. And as spectacular as all that is, that is not the reason for this event. Neither was it that Jesus wanted to give comfort to the sisters. Although he would have wanted to do that. The primary reason for this miracle was so that the Father and the Son would be glorified. That the Son would be glorified in the Father. Remember, all the works that Jesus did, he did because he got them from the Father. The Father told him what to do, and he did it perfectly every time. Always in communion, always in sync with the Father. It has been now about two months since Jesus escaped the clutches of the Pharisees in Jerusalem, and he went to, over to Galilee across the Jordan River to the place where John had been baptizing at first, the place where John pointed to him. And said, there's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And John's disciples followed Jesus. It is so, so when he was there, when he went across the Jordan, people found out that he was there. And many came to him. And it says many believed in him. In the interim of all of this, Lazarus becomes... Mortally ill, and he died. Now, sickness is not an unusual thing in our world. Sickness comes to everyone eventually. Many are sick, and they, they live to get well and, and go on with their lives. Some sickness comes, and they don't get well. They die. But this certainly reminds us that all sickness is the result of sin. Sin brought sickness into this world when Adam disobeyed God in the garden. And though, sick, though the sickness of Lazarus was the result of sin generally, in this case, God used it to fulfill a purpose and the result would be the glory of God. It singles out Lazarus because of Bethany because there were other Lazarus, people named Lazarus in Scripture. For example, in Luke chapter 16, we see Lazarus, the beggar, who laid at the, at the gate of uh, the rich man, whom some have called Dives. He laid at the gate, the dogs licked his sores. He was sick, and he died, and he went to be in paradise in Abraham's bosom. Bethany is the village where this Lazarus lived with his sisters. It's about a, it was about a 45, Bethany was about a 45-minute walk from Jerusalem on the slopes of the Mount of Olives, the place where Jesus will come and touch down when he comes, he'll Touched down on the Mount of Olives and it'll split in two. Bethany sat at the base of that mountain. So you walk down the valley and up the hill into Jerusalem, about a 45 minute walk. 
Jesus had frequented their home before. He was invited uh, into their home in Luke chapter 10. This is what it says. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. That tells me that service is good, but fellowship is better. Listening to what God says is better. We tend to think that if we, if we serve, if we just serve and serve and serve, that, that'll please God. And sometimes it does if we're serving in the Spirit and through faith. But to listen to what God says and then put that into our life of service is the good portion. That's the best thing. We find there are different personalities in these faithful disciples of Bethany. Martha was a worrier. Are you a worrier? I think some people are worriers more than others. Martha was obviously a worrier, a worrywart, we would call her. Mary was the devoted listener. It was Mary who, while in the house of Simon the leper, anointed the Lord's head with a very costly oil and his feet, and then wiped his feet with her hair. Matthew and Mark do not even mention this miracle. Isn't that strange? The last miracle that Jesus did, the greatest one, is not mentioned by Matthew or Mark. I wonder if Matthew and Peter, who Mark wrote the gospel for Peter, I wonder if Matthew and Peter were not with the disciples when they went across the Jordan and when he came back to Bethany because they don't mention this miracle at all. John was obviously there and he saw it all. And so he tells us about it. And then we see Lazarus. We all know who Lazarus is by virtue of this passage of Scripture and, and the other places in Luke. But we don't really know anything about Lazarus. We're not told anything about his, who he was other than he was the friend of Jesus. They were probably very well-to-do people. Because Lazarus had his own tomb. Only rich people had tombs to be buried in in that day. And the oil that Mary broke on the head of Jesus and his feet was very costly. So it's, it's obvious that they, they were kind of well off. They, they were okay as far as their financial situation. The name Lazarus comes from the Old Testament name Eleazar, which means he whom God helped. Isn't that interesting? He whom God helped. You remember Eleazar was the servant of Abraham who was sent to find a bride for his son Isaac. God helped him find that bride. There's a similar statement in John chapter 13, verse 23, where John speaks of himself in the very same way that 
Lazarus is spoken of. In 13.23, he says this. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' table at Jesus' side. As they were having the, the what we call the Last Supper, John was reclined next to Jesus, and he calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. Same thing is found in verse in chapter twenty one, verse twenty where John uses the same description of himself as is used of Lazarus here. Jesus is still in the land uh, across the Jordan in Galilee. He received a message from Martha and Mary that Lazarus was ill. Now, I I wanted to see what the word ill actually meant, and, and it's not a hard word to decipher, but it does give some different flavor to what was going on with Lazarus. Some people get sick, you know, you'll get a cold and you're down for a few days and you're back up. To be ill was much more dangerous. And in that day, when, when there was a lack of, of uh, antibiotics and, and medicines like we have today, to, to be ill like this was very dangerous and people were afraid of illnesses. To be ill means to be sick or in a state of weakness with a debilitating effect. And as we look at the word in the New Testament, the same word that's used for ill, we find that in many times people who were said to be ill died. For example, Acts chapter 9, verse 36. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity or love. And in those days, she became ill and died. And they later, they washed her and laid her in an upper room. We find in that story that Peter went up and raised her up to life again through the power of the Spirit. Philippians chapter 2. Epaphroditus, Paul says he has been sick, longing for you all, and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. He was worried what he was worried what they would think about him being ill and whether it would distress them or not. He's the one that's ill. Have you ever worried about anybody else, how they would feel about you being sick? Maybe you have, but that's very unusual. It says, Paul says, indeed, he was ill near to death, but God had mercy on him. So Jesus receives this message that Lazarus is ill, and there is a sense of urgency to it. It literally says, Lord, listen, Lazarus is sick, he's ill. In other words, come quickly, Lord. If you don't get here soon, he may die. He's at death's door. They believe if Jesus comes to them, Lazarus will be healed. Wow. This is the same kind of faith that was revealed in the nobleman of chapter 4, who had a, a child who was ill. And the nobleman asked, will you, he said, ask the Lord to heal his son. And the man said, you don't have to come to my house, just say the word. And my son will live. And Jesus said, go, your son lives. What faith that is, just to say, you don't have to be there, Lord. You're powerful enough just to speak it from here. We don't see that in Martha and Mary. They wanted him to come to them. But they believe that he can heal Lazarus. Now, we don't know how long it took for the message to get to Lazarus over across the Jordan. 
A messenger would have been sent, and they could afford to send a messenger. So if you put the time frame together, after Jesus was expelled, or after he escaped from the Pharisees in chapter 10 and went across to the Jordan, he was there. Lazarus gets sick. A messenger is, is hired to take a message to Jesus, which would have probably taken at least a day of travel. Jesus decides to stay two more days before going back to Judea. And then he says to his disciples, let's go. They travel another day, which is four days. Martha said to him, He's been in the grave four days. By now, he would smell, it would, he would stink of death. Well, Jesus said to his disciples when the message came, this is what he said, this illness does not lead to death. But he died. So what does Jesus mean when he says, it doesn't lead to death. What it meant is that his death would not be the final outcome, the final outcome of his illness. In other words, he would, his illness had a purpose. His illness was there and he died so that God could glorify himself through that death and bring him back to life. He wouldn't stay dead. Now, there are some sicknesses, folks, some sicknesses, though they are the result of sin generally, there are some sicknesses that are simply there for God to glorify himself through. There is nothing to me that is more, shows more faith and brings the worth of Christ to a higher level than someone who is sick glorifying God in their sickness. Oh, it's easy to glorify God when we feel good, when things are going along fine. But to glorify God through one's sickness when they're when they are when they are weak and they they can't do as they once did. To glorify God that way is far greater. And it makes the worth of Christ much much more. So I would say don't allow your illness, if you have one, don't allow your illness to rob God of the glory He deserves. Give Him glory through it. Show His worth in your sickness. Praise Him for His sovereign work in your life, even though you are sick and may die. Realize that when Christ is made worthy and valuable in your life through sickness, the Heavenly Father is also glorified. Anytime Christ is glorified, the Father is glorified. They cannot be separated because Jesus and the Father are one in essence. Jesus told Peter, that he would die a death for the glory of God. Listen to what he says. This comes from John 21. Truly I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, Peter, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. <clears throat> this he said to show by what kind of death Peter was to glorify God. And after saying this, he simply said to him, follow me. Obey me. Make much of me, Peter. So when the time came, tradition tells us that Peter was taken to be crucified. He asked to be turned upside down on, the, on his cross because he was not worthy to die in the same manner that his Lord had died. Jesus already knew what was going to happen with Lazarus. 
This was one of the works that the Father had given him and the purpose of glorifying the Son and the Father. Everything God does, everything he does, he does to glorify his own name. That's why he saves people from all over the earth. So that the earth will be full of the glory of the Lord as people worship and adore him. And in the end, the whole earth will be full of that glory and people will continually worship in everything they do. You say, well, what is that going to be like? I think it will be much like it is now. <clears throat> Except it will be a new earth, a glorified earth, so to speak. And we'll be in glorified bodies that look very much like we do now. But everything we do, whatever it is that we do in that place, which will be called heaven, will be for the glory of God and we will worship Him in absolute perfection. It's hard to imagine, isn't it? A world with no sin, where we are constantly with the Lord and worship Him in absolute purity and perfection. I want you to notice a word here. In verse 3, it is said, <clears throat> now some have tried to disparage Jesus for not going back to heal Lazarus. But Jesus was obedient to the Father. That's why he stayed two more days. It says in verse 3, He whom you now love, present tense, that's what it should say. He whom you now love at this present time, Lord, has, is ill. He uses there the word, Greek word phileo, which is a word that's translated love, but it is an affectionate word. It, 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 it's a fondness for someone. A person can have affection and fondness for another without actually sacrificing themselves for that other person. That's phileo. Jesus had this phileo love for Lazarus. So John in chapter in, in this chapter in verse five, if you'll notice, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Uses a different word. It's not the word phileo. It's the verb agapao, which is a a divine, uh, sacrificial type of love that gives itself for another, regardless of the other person. This is the love that Jesus had for these people. Not only was he fond of them, but he would give himself for them. He would sacrifice himself for them. But here, agapao is in the imperfect tense. Which means that Jesus loved them in the past and he keeps on loving them in the present. It is a, it's, a revolving, it's a revolving love that keeps on going over and over and over again. He will give himself over and over again to these people. And he does that with everyone who belongs to him. In other words, he loved them and he loves them. And he will keep on loving them. This is the same way that he loves you and me. Those who know him in a personal relationship. In the forgiveness of our sins. He loves us that way. His love never ends. It's always current. Now some may say, well if Jesus loved Lazarus so much... Why did he let him die? He purposely stayed two more days. Why, why would he let him die? And the answer is, is because there was a greater love and a greater purpose that came from heaven. See, Jesus loves the Father supremely. And he would do what the Father wanted regardless and so Jesus always is in sync with the Father's will. And this is, was his will for Lazarus. That Lazarus become ill and die so that Jesus could raise him and be glorified. 
That gives us a proper perspective on trials and things that happen in our lives. We must understand that all trials, whether they are tragedies, loss, or sickness, all things work together for good to those who love God and are the called according to His purpose. All things. And we look at things that happen in our lives, bad things, terrible things, and we say, how, in the, how can God make this good? But He will. It may not be in this lifetime, but He will. And we will glorify Him for that. Jesus said, Lazarus, that Lazarus' sickness would be for the glory of God so that the Son of God would be glorified. The glory of God is not, as a general rule, something that the majority of people in the world care about. Most people don't care whether God's glorified or not. They're just going about their life, living their own life, not even thinking about the God that created them. And many of them don't know who the God that created them is. But it is the main purpose for which the human race was created. was for the glory of of God in worship to Him. As believers, the glory of God should be the fir- in the forefront of all that we do and all that we accomplish in this life, even our suffering. <clears throat> Let me leave you with some scriptures here. You don't need to turn to them. I'll just recite them for you. Paul says in, Eph- in Romans 8, and if, if we are children then we are heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him. You can't expect, you can't expect rewards from God when, when you're not suffering for Him and with Him. And he goes on to say, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may be glorified with Him. That's... That's what happens in the end. But it's not for us, it's for Him. Philippians 1, 29. For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. 1 Peter four nineteen. Therefore let us suffer those who suffer according to the God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. You just, if you're suffering, you just live life for Christ and you go on and you give Him glory. Last one, 1 Peter 5, verse 10. And after you have suffered a little while. How long is that, Lord? Your whole life? Life is full of suffering. Job said, as the sparks fly upward, they're full of suffering. I cannot stand in front of a fire and watch sparks go up without thinking about that. After a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore and confirm and strengthen and establish you. Should we not suffer? Since our Lord endured so much suffering of every kind in our place. Is the servant greater than his master? James says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. When you suffer and you give glory to God through the suffering, God supplies you with everything you need. All the grace that heaven affords will be yours. And it will end up for the glory of Christ. Glory of God. That's what this chapter is about. Now we'll get into the particulars of all of this, and it is a fascinating thing. When he actually raises Lazarus from the from the dead, it, it's going to be you will. 
It's going to be different than you ever thought about this miracle. I'm not going to tell you, say any more. Now, I won't be with you for the next three weeks. As I said, uh, Paul and I leave <clears throat> for Indonesia in the morning. But, but I want you to... There is a new magazine out there that Paul has brought copies for us. It's on the free table under that window. Um, and this is all about the work in Papua, Indonesia, among the Korowai. Article in here, there's uh, beautiful pictures of the people, people whom I've seen their faces and know their names but have never met. And I'll get to meet them. And I'll get to hug their necks. And love on them. So pick you up a copy. Take it home. You'll enjoy the article there written by Paul. And, and uh, the beautiful scenery. If you haven't seen the video yet, you can go on YouTube and type in Jesus is worth it. And you can watch the video about uh, the heart cry video about the work there in Papua. <clears throat> Next, next week, next Sunday evening, uh, Band of Brothers be, begins. Um, Dave, hold, hold up your book there, your, your, your book. Okay, that's the book we're going to be doing. It's called The Pursuit of Holiness by Jerry Bridges. It is a workbook. So you can go on Amazon and type in uh, The Pursuit of Holiness, Jerry Bridges, and it'll take you to that, and you'll see. You want to get the one that says a 12-week study because there's a different book you want to you want to get the study book and this is the one the ladies are doing as well so the ladies will be the following week after that <clears throat> so the men on 17th and the ladies on the 24th i believe it is uh let's see here this week's prayer is for 